If you have your Bibles, find right at the end of Ruth 1. It's just one verse there in Ruth 1 and then into Ruth chapter 2. You know, um, I've, I've long held that uh, worrying really is for smart people. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a worrier, so I'm already telling you which group I think I'm in. And I, I say that worrying's for smart people because it seems that the people who worry are the people who can think up all the ways something could go wrong. And I say, I must be one of the dumb guys because I just think of what I want to do. And uh, sometimes what I want to do doesn't work out so well. Not too long ago, I was working out at the uh, schoolhouse, just me and one guy, and uh, he was in one room kind of far from me, and I was in another room on a scaffold. You can picture this. I'm, you know, I'm, what, like eight foot up or whatever it was, and, and I had climbed up there. Okay, so this, this had already taken some work. And, uh, and I'm yelling at him, you know, hit the breaker. And he goes, which one? I said, it's the one with the green thing on it. And he said, I hit it, and I grabbed the wire, and it knocked me down on the scaffold. Wrong one. You know, he comes running in there, and he says, did you say the one with the green thing on it? And I said, yeah, I said the one with the green. He said, there's more than one. I says, <laughs> why did you say that beforehand? He said, this is actually says, you didn't seem too worried. Truthfully, I wasn't, and I'm okay. Um, I, I think I lived. This is real, right? We're here. And I think a lot of people, you know, you're worriers because you're smart. You start thinking of what all could happen here, and you, you get concerned about which one of those streams might actually come true. And I'm just kicking around in a mud puddle going, everything's okay. I'm not all that bright. I, I have been greatly encouraged by Ruth because she seems to be a step-by-step person. She just seems like, okay, I'll take it this day as today, and I, then if I get to tomorrow, I'll take tomorrow. In other words, I think we're kindred spirits in that way. Whereas Naomi, she's kind of brought me down. Naomi's angry. She's bitter. She feels like God has dealt her a very difficult hand. And I think she's looking at where she's standing and thinking about this can only go worse, no matter which direction it goes. This can, life can only get worse. And uh, in this way, Naomi has discouraged me. She's made me think about all the things that could go wrong. And I don't want to think like that. I just want to take today for today. And if I survive until the second day of the week, which is Monday, we'll, we'll do Monday stuff. Well, tonight, tonight, I have, I have this idea that I want to start bothering you. And it's, it's this idea. In covenant relationship through Jesus Christ, we can trust God with the details. We can. And I want to I just up front couch it in these big of a terms. I want it to be this big in your mind, right? If God plans to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus, then if we'll come into relationship with God through Jesus, we'll be part of the all things being made right. And you say, well, how's all these bad stuff in my life? How's it going to be made right? I have an answer. I don't know, but I know it'll be through Christ. Somebody say amen. It'll be through Christ. So what's your hope of it being made right? It's not knowing how it'll happen by the details. It's that in Christ it's going to work out. 
Now, somebody is already thinking, I want to know the details. And I'm going to worry about all of it until I do know the details. I'm telling you to hit the breaker, and we'll find out what's going to happen. I might get knocked on my behind again, but I'll get up. I want to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, and read all the way through verse 13. And, it's, and I'm going to stop in the middle of the story. My brother's working tonight. You know, I told you all how he feels about this. How do you stop in the middle of Ruth? We need to go all the way through. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 22, and you can follow along in your Bibles or there on the screen. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the, from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Bless you. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to Ruth, she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Everybody go and do that to your boss tomorrow. You know, if, or if you've got employees, just walk. The Lord be with you. And just see if they reply back, The Lord bless you. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Who, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Ruth said to this supervisor, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Father, as we open your word, Open our hearts to understand. Open our minds to see Christ. In Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. I don't know how many times I'm going to bring this up over the next few weeks, but don't forget the main point of the book of Ruth is that God is creating a garden from which the tender root of Jesse will spring. In other words, he's creating the family tree and the situation that will produce our deliverer, our Messiah. And he's doing it in such an incredible and unique way. 
And now he's drawn into this story. Spoiler alert, these are the relatives of Christ. He's drawn into this story. This family who in disobedience to God has left the promised land and gone into Moab. And the husband has died. And the boys, their two sons, have married these foreign women, which is no problem with foreigners, this, that they had foreign gods. You see this? They married out of the faith. It wasn't out of nationality that was a problem. It wasn't out of race that was a problem. It was out of a different religion. They weren't supposed to do that. Somebody say amen. Same, the same command is to New, New Testament believers. Did you know that? We're not supposed to be unequally yoked to people who don't have the same faith as us. It just creates a lot of problems. But these boys had. And then each of those boys died. So you're suddenly left with these three widows. And the mom says, well, I've heard the famine is over back in my hometown. I'm going back. And the girls say, we're going with you. Somewhere along the journey, one daughter-in-law goes back. The other daughter-in-law boldly says, no way. Your people will be my people. Your, your God will be my God. Wherever you live, that's where I'm going to live. And wherever you die and get buried, I'm going to die and get buried too. What a bold declaration. They come back into town. The town is set abuzz. They say, hey, it's Naomi, which who remembers what Naomi means? Pleasant. They say, hey, it's Miss Pleasant. And she goes, don't y'all call me that. Call me Mara. What's Mara mean? Why did y'all remember the negative one? She says, don't call me Miss Pleasant. Call me Miss Bitter. And she just goes off. She says, God, God has been terrible to me. And Ruth's just standing over there while she's going off, you know. And then we get this one last detail. They're back in town in time for the barley harvest. Let me set the scene of how monumental this is, that they're back in town for the barley harvest. This is big, guys. Why is it big? Okay, let me show you something. Hang with me if you can. In Exodus chapter number 9, you get part of the story of the plagues, the, the plagues that God sent on, on Egypt. Do you guys remember why he did that? Egypt was holding the Hebrew people in slavery, and God wanted Pharaoh, like saying the king of Egypt, he wanted the king of Egypt to turn his people loose, to say, you guys are free to go. And if you, you know, I think the way the Bible puts it, Pharaoh said, I ain't going to do it. And so God says, okay, I'll bust your behind. And he sends a series of plagues. The, the seventh plague was a plague of hail, H-A-I-L. Somebody say amen. <laughs> in, in the south, it sounds like the other one. <laughs> All right, now, if you didn't grow up on a farm, you kind of say, so what big deal? Uh, but, you know, Bill... You know exactly what I'm talking about. Shannon, you know what I'm talking about. You get a tobacco farmer, right? They want their leaves to be big and heavy, right? Because they sell their product by the pound. Also, you want good-looking leaves so they get a good grade. Y'all might not know this, but that's what Bill did for years. He graded tobacco. He could tell you what tobacco was smart and what tobacco was really dumb. It was funnier than y'all know, but Shannon and Bill laughed anyway. A hail might come and punch holes all through your crop. That brings the weight down, that brings the quality down, brings the grade down. Well, that's, that's one thing for tobacco. That's money out of your pocket, which is food out of your family's mouth. But in this case, it wasn't just their cash crop, it was their bread crop. This is how they live. 
And so God sends a plague of hail in Egypt in Exodus chapter 9. I think I have the, the passage up here. I'm just going to give you two little verses, uh, verses 31 and 32, which are a footnote in the middle of that passage. This is what it says. It's, 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 kind of, it's kind of a telling thing. If I don't have it up there, it's my fault. Let me read it. It says this, the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer, which is another kind of wheat, sort of, were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. This is right in the middle of talking about a plague. What's the big deal? Flax was ready to be, I mean, excuse me, barley was ready to be harvested. The hail tore it up, ruined the barley harvest. The flax was almost ready to be harvested, ruined it. But Pharaoh's like, so what? I got wheat and emmer coming. I'm okay. We're okay. So it didn't bother him. In Pharaoh's case, God destroying crops was supposed to break his hardened heart, but it didn't. In Ruth and Naomi's case, the harvest season is just beginning. They're coming at barley harvest, and flax is next, and wheat is next, and emmers after that. So it's grace upon grace upon grace. They're coming at the beginning of one harvest that is the beginning of several harvests. And grain that should soften Pharaoh further hardens Pharaoh. And grain that's supposed to soften Ruth and Naomi will soften Ruth and Naomi. Grain becomes grace. So it's an important detail to see that they arrive at the beginning of the what harvest? Barley. Now, look it up sometime if you want to know. Barley, flax, wheat, emmer. You can produce so much stuff, beer, bread, oil. You can even get paper. In their time, the number one kind of paper come from, from flax. So just think about, you know, you want to write a letter. You want to get a letter. Flax paper, linseed oil, Malt beverages. This is the Schlitz malt liquor harvest coming in right here. Boom. But don't forget how big this is. What do you feed your livestock? If you want them to be sort of rangy, you just let them graze. If you want them to be beefy, you feed them green. Harvest, 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 harvest. Oil, paper, bread, seeds. I mean, they, a lot of people just eat. Uh, flaxseed. I don't know if you know this. Karen and I will bake cheese and spread flax seeds on it just because it tastes awesome. But not only that, steak, baby. Lamb chops. Now, they probably sold some stuff to the Gentile neighbors. Bacon for your boy. It's all there. This is the scene that they step back into. And maybe, maybe, they saw it in the moment. Maybe they didn't, but we see it here. This is grace. What sort of grace do you take advantage of on a regular basis that you don't even think about? I'll tell you what. How many of you guys have a, anybody here? I know besides Michael Tuck anyway. Who has a long commute to work? Anybody? Anybody have a long commute? Okay. Could, could you imagine you're going your regular route to work and you know exactly how many minutes it takes you to get there? That's why you left home at the time you did. And you discover a bridge is out. Or, or a, a big water pipe has washed out from the road and, and uh, now suddenly you have to rethink everything. Right? Or, or maybe let me bring it home. Let's imagine that 
someone says there's going to be a gas shortage. Has that ever happened? And so suddenly, what's everybody do? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I did. I just chilled. They go to the gas thing and they post on social media. They trip out. Or maybe, I don't know, let's just pull something out of thin air. What if people just started buying all the TP known to mankind? Right? See, we don't think about shortages in things until there is a shortage in things. In other words, we usually take abundance and grace for granted until it's backed off of us. So now, so now, you know, if you got a few pieces of lumber, a pack of TP, a tank full of gas, and some fried chicken tenders, you're a millionaire by American standards. The gr I said plywood. I have plywood. I, me and Carrie even hid some sheets of plywood yesterday. It's, it's, it's the girl's inheritance. It's treated, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> take a Yes, have you guys heard the joke, I'm going to take apart my house and sell it for parts? <laughs> it would work right now. So, so get this picture of grace upon grace. Naomi's bitter, but Ruth is expectant. How do we know that? I'll tell you how I know. Do you see what she does? Look at verse 2. Ruth says, listen, I'm going to go and glean. So I got two big ideas that I want to throw at you pretty fast. Are you guys ready? First big idea, believing God to be good Ruth labored in expectation. Ruth labored in expectation. She got up and said, I'm going to work. I believe God's good, and I believe my labors will be worth it. Now, I, I grew up, spent a lot of time with my dad's mom and dad. My dad's dad was my hero, man. Still is to this day. I quote him all the time, don't I, honey? I just, he, he meant a lot to me. Now, they were these kind of people that had returnable Pepsi products delivered in cases. You know, literally, the Pepsi truck would stop at their house and deliver cases of drinks. And my grandmother was one of these kind of people that if, you know, like four grandchildren showed up, she would split one seven-up, you know, these 10-ounce seven-ups. And, and I know some of you guys think, oh, how nice, your grandma. I'm thinking, you cheapskate woman. But my grandfather, he would say, oh, give them all a drink. Who do you think I would make my appeal to? Every time. And he, he liked, his favorite snack was bugles, but he called them buggles. You want some of these buggles? And he would cross his legs, and look like when he crossed his legs, they were twice as long. He'd cross his legs and say, get you a drink, boy. Eat some of these buggles with me. And I'd sit down. Some of us think God is my grandma. I believe God is more like my granddaddy. It's grace upon grace. If he got it, he already plans on giving it to his kids. He's not banking against a drought. He's gracious in every season. Even when there is a drought, he has a plan to bless us with something else. So Ruth is, is coming to relationship with God, and she says, listen, I, I'm coming to learn something about this God, and so I'm going to go out and live. I'm going to do what's in front of me to do. Now, some of you guys don't know what's a big deal. A woman without a husband in those days, socially, economically, she had no hope. She had no hope. So let's look at everything in a super quick way. Let's look at everything God does to get Ruth ready for widowhood. Let's check this out. I want to say it like this. 
what God does is he embeds graciousness in his people so that others can experience his graciousness working. Let me see if I can plead the case in this way. Look at Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. Now, you're going to see a phrase repeated. See if you guys pick up on it. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the, father and the, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this. They escaped slavery by the grace and miraculous power of God. God says, I want you to create a culture where people can experience goodness, and you guys ought to get what it's like to be set free, and this shouldn't be any problem for your heart. What does that sound like to y'all? If we are set free from our sin, cut loose from the snare of Satan, delivered from the wrath of God, expecting to go to heaven, expecting to escape hell, we are a delivered people. And we ought, we ought to be a people that other folks should expect to experience grace through. So God, is, God embeds in his people a graciousness for them to experience, but also for other people to experience God. Let me see if I can spell this out really quickly in this way. God cares for the poor. Look at these couple verses, and I could give you a ton, but just look at these couple. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. How serious is God about the poor? He also says don't let the poor off with things just because they're poor. There's a tension there. How about this? God cares for the widow. You could get a lot of verses for this, but I picked out the one that scares me the most. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. I hear Scooby-Doo. When I read that, I hear Scooby-Doo. Rutrow. How serious is God about our care of orphans and widows? How serious are we about it? Maybe convicted. Here's another one for you. God cares for the stranger and the alien. Look at these verses from Deuteronomy 10. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The people of God had been conditioned, had been conditioned by their historical experience, by their moral law, to really love marginalized people. It was in their laws. It was in their agriculture. It was in their agribusiness. It was in how they were to treat each other. Do you see this? So Ruth steps onto this stage that God has been building for a long, long time. Do you see how neat that is? People ought to step into this circle right here. And, 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 you know, they don't know what to expect. But we know what to expect. God has been 
building in us, embedding in us a spirit of graciousness because we know what it's like to be delivered. All along, all along, God was creating for himself a people through whom he would bring our deliverer in their culture, in their values, in their ceremonies, in their morals, in their ethics, in their business, in every part of their life. He's creating a garden from which the fruit root of Jesse could spring up and people could experience his grace along the way. Now, if you noticed, if you noticed, it says here that Ruth happened in verse 3. She happened to be in the field. That's from human perspective. That's from human perspective. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. See, a lot of times we think all this stuff is happenstance, but God's in the details. He's created an entire culture where Ruth and Naomi, in despair, can be cared for. Isn't that amazing? Secondly, and much more quickly, because God is good, he provided the arena for his, for his grace to meet Ruth's expectations. She went out to labor. She tells her mother-in-law, I'm going out to glean. Her mother-in-law says, go, girl. Direct quote. And she steps out into the field of this guy named Boaz. And it turns out Boaz is a kinsman of Elimelech. And if you notice the detail, she's gleaning, and she comes into the field of Boaz. Now, I've noticed the time. Don't worry. Don't think I haven't. Let me tell you what's something interesting here. Boaz is a kinsman of Elimelech, but it uses an unusual word for Boaz. You know why? It says he's like, it's like saying Boaz is of a sub-tribe from Elimelech's family. You know why this detail is here? Spoiler alert. Anybody know who Boaz's mom is? His mom is Rahab. So, so in my family, it's like this. It's like, I, I, you know, you know, Stuart married Martha. Tim married Care. Jim married Debbie. And David married Donna, who's from up north. She gets this little, David gets this weird little designation, right? Can you get the flavor of this? It's Boaz, and you know who his mama is. But she'd been accepted. It was just a footnote. Boaz is a man who is raised not in the shadow of grace, but in the full light of it. It's conditioned him. The people are conditioned. The man is conditioned. And Ruth is out here working. And you notice she's gleaning and she comes to Boaz's field. Boaz shows up and says, who's that girl? Do you know what happened? Ruth had stopped working. You know how I know this? The Bible. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Boaz comes. He blesses the workers. The workers bless him. He says to, the, to his supervisor, whose young woman is this? Then look all the way down to verse 7, okay? When, when this guy says, so she came, it's continued from the early morning until now, except for a short rest. In the Hebrew, you know what he's saying? She was gleaning, and she came in our field. She found out whose field it was, and she says, can I get right in with the workers? And I told her no. And she said she would like to talk to whoever else is in charge. And she's just standing there. Suddenly, there's no image of timid, always humble Ruth. She has made a bold request on grace. So she, if you can imagine her, I sort of imagine her like, uh, uh, 
what's that, what's that crazy, Medea now, sort of, not all the way. She's standing about, and she keeps looking at the supervisor, and he keeps going. And then Boaz says, who's this girl over here? That's Ruth. That's Ruth. That's the one that came into town with Naomi. She wanted to get in with the workers. Boaz has this very Eastern conversation with her, and what he basically says is, I've heard everything you've done for your mom-in-law, and it tells me a lot about you. So you go ahead and get in with my workers, and, and don't go to anybody else's field. You stay right in with my workers. He told her to gather from among the sheaves. In other words, the piles that have already been picked. Get in with the guys. Don't work as hard. And in their culture, women drew water for men. She said, if you get thirsty, you just get you some water from them boys' buckets. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in Boaz's field. Interestingly enough, the exact same phrase they used to describe Boaz is the phrase they used to describe Gideon. The exact same phrase in Hebrew. Might translate it, a man of high character, a mighty man of valor. Where Gideon became strong in the power of the Lord for war, Boaz becomes strong in the power of the Lord for redemption. What's my point in all this? My point is, you in covenant relationship with God, get up every day and do what's right and trust God with the details. Go to your job. Love your family. Learn these biblical values. Become a point of grace for the people around you. You never know what foreigner to the kingdom of God he is drawing in to make one of our fellow citizens. Our lives matter. I truly believe that the church is the backbone of a sane and civil society. You want to know why our society is losing its civility and going insane? Because the church is shrinking away from her call. You look at what God, all that God had done so that a widow, a poor widow woman could totally experience his grace. And upon learning this much of his grace, she knew she could depend on all of his grace. She wasn't asking for a, a, a little tiny water cup of 7-Up. She's like, give me the Dr. Pepper, Lord. Give me the good stuff. Give me the good stuff. Now, my grandma was smart. She had those old school cookie jars, the ones you see in stores. Old people will remember this. You could not, you could open them things like a ninja that's made out of glass. You could not close them. She could be in Roxborough and hear you open that cookie jar. You know what my granddad used to do? We'd go walking out in the yard, and without saying a word, he'd just reach in his, no paper, no nothing, y'all. This is old days. No napkin. He just pulled one of them cookies out of his pocket. Here, boy. Because granddaddy won't sneak him. It was his house, right? I have that image of my father. I love the reasoning found in Romans 8 that if he's given us his son, what's he going to hold back from us now? Ruth, I've delivered you out of paganism. What do you think I'm going to hold back from you now? Ruth, you are destined for hell. You're now destined for heaven. What do you think I'm going to hold back from you in between? Ruth, Ruth, I have put you in the lineage of my son. What do you think I'm going to hold back from you now? The answer is nothing. What's her response to Boaz? She bows down on the ground. I know the world is full of 
women's liberation. This isn't her being, an, you know, this isn't bad. That's their culture. She was being thankful and humble. And she just bows down at his feet. And she says, I can't believe that I found favor in your eyes. Not only are you not being mean to you, you're speaking kindly to me, and you're doing kindly to me. She's blown away by the depth of grace she is experiencing. Brothers and sisters, I think we should, I think we should expect more out of the grace of God. If he's giving you his son, Larry, if he's giving you Jesus, what do you think he's going to hold back from you now? Tammy? If just to get you in relationship with him, he slew his son, what do you think he's not going to do for you now? Michael? If he says, I'll pour out wrath on Christ instead of you, what do you think he's going to hold back from you now? Nothing. Ruth is in God's people now. And she's starting to see grace has a lot of depth. How do we respond to this? Church, I'm going to read to you guys one of my favorite passages. It's pretty short. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is from Titus chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what we step away from, right? ungodliness, worldly passions, we, we renounce those things. And, and we say, God, help me to live self-controlled, upright, and godly. And then what do we embrace? We embrace the waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The garden of the Messiah has been created. The Messiah has sprung up. He has lived a, a, a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He defeated the grave. He resurrected. What are we supposed to do in between his first coming and his second? Renounce what's wrong, lay hold to what's right, and be zealous to live for the Lord. Zealous to live for the Lord. And even in our ordinary labors, God will use his grace through his people to touch the world around us. We can trust him with the details. The question is, will we? Just like Ruth went out to labor in expectation, I believe we're to live in eager expectation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says that when he returns, he's coming back to save those who eagerly wait for him. Brothers and sisters, can you say that you are eagerly waiting for Jesus? In closing, I have two invitations. One to the people of God. Do you guys believe that you're plunging into the depth of God's grace? I mean, you know, do you really believe that he's going to give you all he says he's going to give you? And I don't even mean stuff. I just mean himself. Do you believe he's going to totally forgive you? Do you believe he's going to totally make you into a new person? Do you believe that... Your life has purpose through Jesus Christ. If we believe it, it'll affect how we live. Do you believe it? Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back and complete this work? Or maybe, maybe you've yet to come into the family. Here's one of the coolest things to me about being a Christian. 
My dad asked me my favorite thing about being a Christian. I told him peace. I know I'm at peace with God. One of the coolest things, I think, is I got an inheritance. I have an inheritance. When I, when I believed on the Lord Jesus, I was adopted as a child with Christ. And now everything that's coming to the Son, I can expect to share with him. Everything. I'm a co-heir, right? I come from that kind of family where an inheritance is, you know, you decide if you're the one that gets to hold the box with the ashes in it. That's, that's your inheritance. But everything that will be Jesus's will be mine. With Jesus. Have you come into the family of God? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If you receive Jesus as Lord, he will adopt you as a son or a daughter. And like Ruth, we'll learn that he really, really means it. You can trust him with the details of your life. He settles your eternity and he will hold you until you get there. Do you know him today? We're going to sing a song in just a moment. As we sing that song, I urge you to respond to the Lord. Whatever he's speaking into your heart, respond to him. Uh, every day I get up, guys, and I say, God, you're my father. I'm your son. You're the boss. I'm the servant. Whatever you say today, I already say yes. And I want to have that spirit. When God speaks to me, I want to say yes. And I don't want to outthink myself. I just want to say yes. I want to agree with God, believe God, and move forward. Whatever he's speaking to you, agree with him. Father, thank you for a chance to share from your word. Thank you, God, that you give us the life of Ruth, who, who believed you, and it affected how she lived. And because it affected how she lived, Father, it affected how she labored and how she walked with people around her. Father, teach your people about the depth of your grace. Father, if anybody, if anybody under the sound of this word tonight doesn't believe you're serious, then God, I pray that you give them fresh faith, fresh wind, fresh fire, that you encourage the body of Christ to see that you're not going to let us down. And Father, like Andrew said earlier, make that river flow through us in a fresh way and make us a city made glad by your grace. In Jesus I pray, amen.